0: Hi there, and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keene, a senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message, that it's gonna really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today.
1: Everybody can take your seats. Great to have you in church today on what is our last service for 2023. Who can believe that we are one sleep away from 2024? (laughs) That is crazy. And I just wanna give everybody here this morning a big shout out because I I can't remember the details exactly, but I'm pretty sure in the book of Judges, when Gideon was refining his mighty men down, one of the things they had to do was attend a New Year's Eve service, and that meant that they were a mighty warrior. And so you guys are the mighty warriors coming to a New Year's Eve service. I feel like it separates the men from the boys. Um, but... Great to have you in church today. <laughs> I just wanted to say, before we get to the Word of God today, uh, as it is New Year's Eve, church has a number of things happening uh, this afternoon, this evening, uh, which you can be a part of, to see in the new year. And so we've got the first one is the early night, and I will be uh, heading to this one and uh, having an early countdown at 5.30pm. So don't tell the kids, but we're going to do a countdown at 530 um for everyone that wants to get home early. And we'll see you in the new year a couple of hours early, but you'd be so welcome to come and hang out there a little later this afternoon. And then there is a party with some dancing, uh, and that is till 11.30. And you just got to go on the Young Adults Instagram and sign up there to get the address this afternoon uh, because we don't want to put someone's home address on the screens, as you can imagine. And then the last thing is the countdown. So meeting at Kings Park at the Flame Memorial and watching all the different fireworks happening in the city uh, from that spot will be awesome. So um, don't see the New Year in alone, everybody. Hang around with some people. Spend some time with everybody as we see into 2024, which will be so good. All right. Who's ready for the word? Let's pray. And uh, let's get stuck into the Word. So, Father, we just thank you for this morning. And, God, we're grateful to be in your house. And we just thank you for your church. And, Lord, we just celebrate that you do something, Father, supernatural each time we gather, that you're moving, Father, that you want to speak to people. So we just invite you this New Year's Eve, speak to our hearts. Lord, say what you want to say. We just pray for each person here. We know you've got a great plan for them today in being here in this service. So, Lord, may they receive from you. May their heart be good so this morning. And we just pray, Father, bring about great godly change in their life. And, Lord, may this message just encourage them as they head into a new year, which is, Father, full of potential. And, Lord, that you have already gone before us into. So we just pray, Lord, have your way in this time. And may it strengthen people in Jesus' name. And the 23rd row said... Amen. All right. <laughs> well, I, I felt um, stirred some time to, some time ago to start writing out some thoughts from the Word of God around the subject of frustration, uh, because I was finding that a lot of you know Bible characters that we would know well navigated frustration in some way. Uh, some carried deep frustration for long periods of time. Many of them had short uh, periods of deep frustration. But I know for you and I that in doing life, we will all have to navigate frustration. And sometimes it is circumstantial. Uh, Sometimes it can be frustrating to do certain things. But then it can extend into seasons of frustration. Where you can be someone that has not just a month, but years of being frustrated about something. Frustrated at someone. Or having a sense of undirected frustration at just the situation or the circumstance that you find yourself in. Because what can happen is you can be doing life and God is doing so much around you. And it's not that you're living in perfection, but around you is possibilities, potential, opportunities everywhere. But because of frustration, you feel stuck, you feel bitter, you're miserable, you feel disillusioned, and you have very little vision for the future. And we all have to navigate frustration. And so on my journey through the Word of God as, as to what it has to say about this, I came up with six points. It's not exhaustive. I'm sure I'll add things to it or change things. And we're going to look at one of these points today. But here's my six points on the source of your frustration. Number one is this lack of control. So one thing that will bring about a lot of frustration in your life is if you're navigating a lack of control. And what I mean by that is a control of the outcomes... In your life control about the timing of things in your life you'll find that you'll have issues with everybody in your life who you can't control um, people that you can control you love them they're not frustrating everybody else deeply frustrating but it's a lack of control that brings about that frustration number two is a lack of purpose and that's you know that old saying idle hands it's a navigating life with a real lack of meaning You can be busy, your calendar's full, you never stop, yet you lack deep purpose. Um, I, I thought on Friday night, Pastor Jordan did a great message on purpose, would encourage you to check that out, but that would help you if number two, something for you. Number three, lack of focus. This is where you, again, can be busy, can be flat out, but you're not aiming at anything. You're punching the wind Um, Not sure what the next season holds for you because you're not being intentional about any of it. Um, Someone could ask you, what are you working towards? You couldn't tell them. Someone could say, what's getting your time in this season? You couldn't tell them. Uh, And so uh, lack of focus is a big source of frustration. Number four, lack of challenge. Uh, This can be when you're too comfortable across the board in your life. You've sought out a lifestyle, a way of living, a job, uh, relationships that keep you comfortable. There's no adversity at all. Uh, And that can be no career, it can be no work, whatever that might look like. Lack of challenge will bring about great frustration. Number five is lack of authenticity. Uh, This can be if you are being a religious person, not in the sense of your devotion to God, but everything is external, none of it's internal. You're doing all of the behaviours without any of the transformational change in your life. This can be when you're hypocritical. It can be when you're fake, where life is a performance. Where you're getting exhausted trying to please people and be liked by people. And lastly, lack of perspective. And this is seeing everything through an impaired lens. So if you're tired, you see everything through that tired lens. If you're hurt, if you're offended, if you're bitter, if you're confused, everything is seen through that lens. It doesn't matter Uh, you know, how good a something someone could show you, if you're seeing it through an impaired lens, that thing won't be seen as good as it actually is. Now, God is in all of these because we can get frustrated because we can't control God. We can't control God's uh, will. We can't control the outcomes of prayers that we're praying to Him. And that can be frustrating. Uh, We will get frustrated if we don't make God the source of our purpose, if we don't make the things of God the source of our focus, if we avoid the challenges that God brings to your life and what that can look like is God brings something up that's in you and you either find new theology to accommodate you not changing that or you find a group of people that accommodate you not changing that or you get put in positions of challenge, building God's house, it gets challenging so you pull out of that area or pull out of that church or pull away from that person and so we avoid that. Number five, lack of authenticity before God. We have all of the stuff on the outside to say that we're close but we're not actually close God. And lastly, a lack of perspective of God. We have wrong view of who God is. Coincidentally, we have wrong view of ourselves before God. And we can also have wrong view of others and who they are in relation to God. And I want to just touch on one of those points this morning in my, my message today and just talk about Perspective. Lack of perspective. I think this is a great topic to look at heading into the new year. Because if you can't see God with the right perspective, if you can't see yourself with the right perspective, if you're seeing others and God's house through an impaired perspective, how on earth are you going to be able to see the new year with a good perspective? How are you going to be able to see your relationships, your career, your church with the right perspective? And I believe God today can do a great work in your heart, in your mind and in your spirit to help you regain healthy perspective of God, healthy perspective of the year ahead, of your church family, of your relationships, your career, and help you head into it with some faith and some expectation that God can do something great as you work with Him. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19 about the story of Elijah. And I'll just give a little bit of context before we read this passage But Elijah is an Old Testament prophet who is next level. He does some incredible things for God. God uses him mightily, does great things through him. And what we're about to read is just after the story where fire comes down from heaven on the top of Mount Carmel. And the story is this, is that there's false prophets and then there's Elijah the prophet. And they're essentially having a battle over whose God is real. And how they're going to prove this is they're both going to call for fire from the sky to come down and burn up this this altar, this sacrifice, and whoever's God brings the fire down is obviously the real one. And so in the story, the false prophets are desperately trying to call on their false gods to come and bring fire down, so much so they start cutting themselves, and it's all this crazy stuff's happening, and Elijah's cool, calm, and collected, and when it's his turn, he actually makes it harder on himself and gets the altar covered in water and then calls fire down from heaven and truly fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar and the sacrifice and then we'll just brush over it quickly but he kills all of the false prophets. But moving right along. So, (laughs) But imagine being Elijah you see a literal miracle before you that others see fire from heaven, he gets strengthened, empowered by God, kills all the prophets and then is now full of faith, full of passion knows God's with him, I like it it's a little bit of that feeling you get sometimes if you ever go to a youth camp or a great church conference you spend time in the presence of God and you are just pumped, I remember going on youth camps as a young kid and I would leave and I'm just like God is so real God is with me, someone could be meters away and just sniffle and I'd be like laying hands on them in prayer, anyone at my school that wasn't coming to church, I'm telling them all about Jesus, I'm just pumped And then what happens is is Elijah then, full of faith, having seen a miracle of God come down from heaven, he then sees a small cloud in the sky. The Bible tells us the size of a man's hand. He's got so much faith that he says it's about to rain and tells the chariot to go tell everybody. But then Elijah just outruns the chariot. So again, supernaturally empowers Elijah to run faster than any man normally could. And so he is experiencing some supernatural stuff. He is seeing God move In him, through him, around him. He would be on, if you imagine the biggest youth camp high you could be on, he is on that on another level. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night So we see the prophet Elijah go from calling fire down from heaven, killing all the prophets, and then having faith to see a great rain come out of a small cloud. He then supernaturally runs faster than a chariot. And then with one external threat, he now goes under a bush and wishes that he would die. Exhaustion and intimidation eroded at his view of God. And it eroded at his view of God's power and presence at work in his life. It eroded at his view of his calling and it also gave him wrong perspective of the enemy. He got so fearful of that threat that he wanted to die. He went from the extreme high to the extreme low with an external threat and with physical exhaustion. You know, for many of us today heading into a new year, intimidation and circumstances have robbed you of right perspective of God. It's robbed you of right perspective of yourself. And it's given you an unhealthy perspective of the enemy. Where once you were full of faith and excited about life and all that God was doing, you now find yourself under a bush, having a season of exhaustion, wanting to throw in the towel and whatever it is that you're carrying, the responsibilities you have, the things that you're doing, you're just over it. Whereas once it was the complete opposite. But it can feel at times that we've lost so much when in reality, the only thing you may have lost in 2023 is just right perspective. It may feel like you've lost everything when in fact you may have just lost perspective. You may not realise that God is still on the throne, that God is still good and that God is still with you. You might have lost perspective... Even with the challenging circumstances, with the intimidation, you may have lost perspective that you are still called, that God still has fresh grace and mercy for you, that you don't have to rely on your own strength. And it's impossible for us to get right view of our jobs and our, and our families and our church if we've lost right perspective of God, our calling, and the threats that we face. Because the reality is, is that the, bat- the battle is the Lord's. And that the enemy is already under his feet. We know the ending. We don't need to live with fear. We don't need to collapse under a bush and want to throw in the towel. But what we do need to get is right perspective. You'll know you're having a challenge with this, everybody. If in this season you're finding yourself saying things that you thought you'd never say. You're being critical of things that you never thought you'd be critical of. You can't find faith for things that you've always had excess of. Convictions you had about God's house once are now gone. A deep sense of calling that you once had, you don't feel it anymore. And I want to say you've not lost those things, but you've lost perspective. But God supernaturally can do a work in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit to open your eyes, lift the burden and refresh you so that like Elijah, you can get up and go again. Because 2024 needs a you that's up and about and full of faith, excited for the future, aware of God's goodness, aware of the calling on your life and aware that ultimately the enemy loses and God wins. And we're a part of that family. We've been grafted in so we win as well. I was a big PS2 guy. Any PS2 fans in the house? Just four of us. God bless you. It's an anointed bunch. But I remember when we first got a PS2, specifically me and Sean, my oldest brother, we we would love to play that, especially on the holidays we'd play it a long period of time. And my mum was really good at putting boundaries in around it, but it didn't mean that we wouldn't get angry and frustrated at it to a point where it would get irrational and silly. So we live in a great house, loving parents, We've got a PlayStation 2. Yet, when it was time to turn that off, it was like, you don't love us. You don't listen to us. You never do anything nice for us. Dad never does anything for me. You've never bought me anything. Completely rational. <laughs> completely rational. Lost perspective completely. And my mum had a good strategy for this back in the day. She used to take us to the, uh, to the beach and tell us to go in the ocean. And it sounds funny, but they do have a theory on the internet, which, you know, how much can you believe on the internet? But anyway... That salt water and sunshine is good when you've been looking at the screen too long. Anyway, do with that what you want to. But my mum used to do that, send us into the ocean. And I, I do think it helped, but what I found would happen is you'd, you'd turn the PS2 off, you have been playing for hours, you're frustrated, you're irritable, you're angry at everyone, you're ungrateful, you get into the ocean, you come up, sun's shining, nice cold water on your skin, just washes over you, and all of a sudden you're like, life's not that bad. <laughs> My mum does love me. The PS2, it's not my life. My dad's pretty good. My brother's a good guy. Let's go. It was like a reset. And it's this funny experience back then that I used to have, just almost like your eyes being opened, you're thinking clearly, perspectives come back, that all that screen time's just like washed off and you feel refreshed. And, and, and you're seeing people the right way. And what matters most, you are reminded of what that is. And listen, that's the experience that our soul needs sometimes. And you might be heading into the new year and you're irritable and you're tired and you're frustrated at everybody. And you're just over it. You need to almost have that experience of going under the water, coming up and, and just being refreshed. And I believe that God can do that supernaturally in your heart and your mind. But only at the point where you're aware that you need it. Because some of us are bitter and hurt and tired, but we think that we're not, or we think that everything, everyone else's perspective is wrong. And I'll talk about that a little bit at the end. But I've got four things that aid in restoring perspective. Four things, and uh, number one is this: serving, serving. Now, I know I'm a pastor at this church. Don't roll your eyes. Obviously, we want people to serve, but this is not a global heart church thing. This is a Bible thing. That the right way to live, the Christ-like way to live, the, the way to live that is best for you is to live a life of service to others. To be someone who is always others-focused, not self-focused. We, are very, we be very Christ-like when we live a life of devotion to the service of others at cost to ourselves. And Mark 10.45, we, we love this scripture. It says that even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve. He embodied this way of living. This is not a pastor saying, come and serve at my church. This is a pastor saying, hey, as a Christian, you need to be serving. To be Christ-like, we need to live a life where we are devoted to the betterment of others, often at the cost of our own comfort and our own time and our, even our own finance. How, how we're supposed to think and operate is this way. Is to serve. There is no position or relationship you can have where you shouldn't carry that heart and posture. If you're, if you're married, your posture as a spouse should be one to serve the other one. If you're a parent, I'm there to serve my kids. If you're, a, if you're a leader or a boss, hey, I'm serving my staff and my team. If you're on a team, hey, I'm serving my boss, serving the vision, serving the mission. There, there's just no position and no relationship where we shouldn't carry that heart and that mindset to serve. Each day we should wake up with with that desire of who can I bless today? Who can I help today? And beyond just the intention, because I think we would all agree we've all got that intention, but actually the action of doing it. And you'll realise that you become more grateful when you open your eyes to the needs of others and actually become a part of the solution. Getting into the trenches with people. Shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, helping people navigate life. Helping carry their burdens. Helping them navigate a tough situation at cost to your own time. Doing something for someone who can't do a thing for you. And think about that heading into the new year. Put yourself in a position to be able to do things for people who can't do a thing for you. Because we're very good at doing things for people that can do something for us. And a good example of this is the old pocket money thing. You go up to your mum and you say, mum, I love you so much. Can I help around the house? And then the reply is usually, what do you want? It's like, 50 bucks? You know, it's it's service with strings attached. It can be pretty overwhelming with all of the need in the world and, and even in our community. But what I want to challenge you to do is to think about who is in your life, who is touchable in your world that you can serve and help in 2024. Church is such a good vehicle for this. Because we can join a team and we can get alongside people. But also out in the community, in your workplace, on your street, your your neighbours. What can you do to be a great blessing to somebody else? Who is in your everyday? Who's catching your attention? That that lonely person, that that parent at school, that child at school. Who's catching your attention that you could do something uh, to help them? You know, my dad used to challenge us when we were kids. We would say to dad something like, hey, someone should really do something about that or someone should help them. And he'd often say, hey, if you've seen it, you should do something about it. If God's shown you that, you should do something about it. It's a great exercise, everybody, to care about someone else's well-being more than yours. And get helping someone else on their journey with Jesus. I'm going to do a message later in the year about how you need discipleship. And I don't mean you getting discipled. I mean you as a Christian discipling somebody else. You need discipleship. You need to be alongside somebody else championing them in their faith journey and in their walk with Jesus. One of the best things you can do if you're a Christian and you're getting stale, you're getting frustrated, you're annoyed by the lighting, but not annoyed by, um, you know, new Christians not staying. Come on, that's the real stuff we've got to work on. One of the best things you can do is join the kids team. Or join the new Christians team because you get engaged in someone's faith journey who can do nothing for you. Yeah. Yeah. What's a seven year old gonna do for you? Well, they, I don't know, they probably wash the car. Anyway, that's the point. But I loved being on the kids' team because what it did for me. In getting my eyes off myself, getting engaged in someone else, caring about them and their connection to God, getting interested in things that I had no interest in, but all of a sudden I'm really passionate about Digimon, I want to get into their world, I want to help them learn how to communicate with them. It is the best thing for your character and for your humility, but New Christians is the same, youth team is the same, getting alongside people that you can champion in their faith journey. It's so, so important to you. Things like a hospital visit, go in and pray for somebody, whatever it might be. Things where you're going in and literally this is a a sacrifice, an offering just to bless you because I love you. And as you do that, it does something incredible in you in the area of your perspective. Some of your irritation is that you're only thinking about you. That 100% of your prayer life is things about you. God, can you give me this? Can you do this? Start asking God for things for somebody else and watch what it does in you. All right, number two. So serving, number two is rest. Number two is rest. In 1 Kings 19, we see that Elijah goes under the bush and he says, I wish I was dead like my ancestors. And he goes to sleep and an angel wakes him up and gives him some bread and some water, puts him back to sleep. And then he wakes up and the Bible tells us he then goes on a 40 day journey. So the difference between him wanting to die and going on a 40-day walking journey was two sleeps, some bread and some water. Sometimes our our frustration and and our anger and our tiredness, we are binding Satan, we're binding our family, our jobs, we're doing all that kind of stuff. When refreshment and perspective could come with two good sleeps, a bit of bread and some water. Now, this was not magic bread or magic water. This was bread cooked over hot coals. That does sound good. But the point is this, is that self-care is such an important part of your perspective. Sometimes our view of God is off because we've neglected our own, our own physical needs. Everybody, you're far too important to neglect sleep. Yeah. And your view of God is depending on it. Because if you don't sleep for three days and then someone says, hey, is God good? You're like, "Uh, who? You know, you're so tired. (laughs) You're far too important to neglect eating. Time off. You know, no one is that busy. No one's that busy. Um, And I know for me that rested Jords will do in 30 minutes what tired Jords will will take four hours to do. And tired Jords will do it for four hours grumbling. Whereas Rested, George, we'll do it in 30 minutes and have a pretty good time. So effective rest equals effective work. And I've had to get intentional about this and strategic about this because I realise so much of my calling and my purpose and my role as a pastor hinges on me being fresh and rested. Because if you have a pastoral catch up with me and and I'm not rested, it'll just be a whole lot of, great, 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 let's pray. You know, it's like George was not on his A game today. You know, so I realised that my calling, so much of it has to do with me being rested. And so I've had to get intentional and just two practical apps that might help you. Um, They've helped me a lot this year. Um, I use this app called Rise for sleeping. So if you're having a tough time sleeping, use Rise. It's really good. And I use Opal for screen time, which also helps me sleep well. But those two practical things, it's had a spiritual impact on my life. Because I'm rested and my perspective is better than it was before. Now, getting rest, getting sleep, it does not happen by accident. You would know life gets full, life gets busy. And so to do that, you've got to get organised. Having a Sabbath, having a break, having holidays, they don't just happen. If you say we'll find the time, you'll never find it. You've got to try and make it happen. And I thank God for Bianca. She's already got out a big new calendar for us for next year. It's got to be on the fridge with all of our stuff in there. That's part of us getting organised so that we can do this well. It's, it's, I'm not naturally like that. I'm not naturally organised and I don't naturally like that stuff, but I do it out of necessity because I realise that my own inability to get organised could cap all that God wants to do through my life. It's not a capacity problem for me. It's an organisation problem. Now, I like to term it this way. You have a responsibility of rest. You have a responsibility of rest. A responsibility for your family. If you're a husband or a wife, if you've got children, you've got a responsibility of rest because I know that I'm a better husband when I'm rested. I know I'm a better parent when I'm rested because if I'm not rested, I'm short, I'm snappy, I'm irritable and stuff doesn't go as well as it could if I was rested. So I've got a responsibility to my family to be rested. I've got a responsibility to my church to my job, as do you. So you've got to see it as a responsibility of rest. Not like, oh, it'd be nice to have a rest. You've got a responsibility to do it. Because it's got implications on the three big areas that people love to talk about, your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual needs. Now, I know that they all are connected. For example, in the area of physical, if I'm not looking after my body well, And I'm feeling insecure about my weight and how I look. It's amazing how that affects my emotions. Because then I'm down, I'm losing confidence, I'm a bit sad. And then I carry that into everything I do for God. And and I carry that into, into my time with God, where I'm now down in the dumps. But it all started with physical things. And so I've got to be intentional about looking after my body, looking after my emotions, so that I can look after my spirit well with a good perspective. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, you know, Jesus saying, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can find rest in God. Rest is so important. Uh, but I do just want to say this, everybody. We've got to find a good, healthy balance here. Because you can't abuse this principle. And I think all the lazy people have loved this point up until now. Because even with the Sabbath, it's one out of seven, not six out of seven. <laughs> It's not six days of Sabbath and one of work. And, and even today, you know, there's a new little uh, term which has come out or a phrase for churches. And it's all semantics because this will do the roundabouts with different names. But there's this idea of a rest church where we don't, we don't serve, we don't volunteer, we don't carry. We just rest in the presence of God. And I think they'll be able to do a lot of resting when the church closes its doors because they've rested so much and not done anything. Um And and I'm a big revival guy, but I think nowadays some of the desire for revival is because there's a a modern view that we just sit back and let God go. So it's this this desire to have a, a model of church where we sit down and let God go. But God wants to include us in what He's doing. And so we've got to be careful with some of that mindset and that view. You know, the book of Samuel, David says that line, he says, "...I will not give my God that which costs me nothing." And Paul says multiple times in the New Testament, I feel like a, an offering poured out to God for the sake of the gospel, a life poured out. And, and we've got to be careful, especially my age, millennials, to not try and strategically create a costless Christianity. Because if your Christianity is not at cost to you in some way, it's not Christianity. Because it should have a massive cost on you in every way, in your, your desires, your finance, your goals, your comfort, everything. You should be paying a huge cost for the gospel, and if you're not, I'm concerned you're not walking out Christianity biblically. If you're feeling maxed out, here's three things you can do. All right, so if you are feeling maxed out, here's three possible next steps. Number one is reorder. So if you're like, I'm maxed out, I'm at the end, I'm like Elijah, I'm under a bush. Number one is reorder some stuff. There is such a thing as too much, there is such a thing as I'm doing too much, I've got too many responsibilities. Um, There's too much going on. There is such a thing as that. And there's wisdom in carrying out, living out your life with with, uh, great intent and strategy and and wisdom with your spouse if you're married and, and a family and things like that. So reorder is number one. Number two is recover. Sometimes we're so tired, we're Elijah under the bush and we start resigning from things. We start pulling out of things. We start moving things. You just need a holiday. You just need a break. And it's important, again, the principle of Sabbath, having that time to stop and rest and connect with God and realise that life goes on without you. God's in control. God's got it. But you, would, you might find that some of the spiritual bondage you're under would be fixed with five days in Dunsborough. You might need that. Now, if you've just had five days in Dunsborough, don't say, yeah, I need another five days. You know, just don't abuse it. I'm just saying we need to recover. It's part of the rhythms of life that we go and then we rest and we recover. Well, the third one is this. So you either need to reorder, recover or rise up. There is such a thing as a rise up where you feel maxed out, but you've actually got to get new perspective on, I can do this. I'm just being a bit of a sluggard. And um, I remember one time getting to witness this great conversation that Jazz Gilbert had when I was running kids with one of our room leaders and it was a busy morning and one of the room leaders came in and and she was having a busy time and some of the leaders hadn't arrived and she got a bit overwhelmed and I remember Jazz was running the service and she was like look I just need to go home and Jazz grabbed her by the shoulders and was like hey is this a rise up moment or is this a I need to go home moment and the, the girl's like It's a rise-up moment. Let's do it. And she did it and smashed it out of the park. Now, if it was me, I would have been like, yeah, go home. But I I was probably a bit too compassionate. um, Or I would have said, like, let Bianca have the conversation or something else. But... But I say that to say that that girl benefited from that advice of, "Hey, this is a rise up moment." And I've had lots of times in my life too where I'm like, "I'm maxed out. I'm doing too much," and if someone gives it a great rise up encouragement to me, and I've got to find that next gear, and then I find that you know what I was, what was overwhelming me before is now easy for me, and I keep going on this beautiful trajectory of increasing my ability to carry for God. Right. So we need to rest everybody, and we need to have. A a peace in our soul and our spirit but at the same time you've got to have a passion we've got to have a fight we need to have a fire and an urgency about doing uh, uh, the work of the kingdom and we've got to walk it out with the wisdom of the word and powered by beautiful graced rest Amen. amen number three is righteousness so another thing which will aid in getting your perspective back is righteousness Now, righteousness corrects perspective because um, sin corrupts it. Sin corrupts everything it touches. So when we're engaging in sin, it corrupts our perspective on everything. What is righteousness? Well, righteousness is a life lived to our best ability in obedience to God's Word. We, We can't attain perfection in this area, but it's by the grace of God. In worship to God, I'm endeavouring to obey the Word of God living righteously to the best of my ability. It's it's amazing how when we sin it corrupts our perspective of God because when we sin we immediately want to take a step back from God and it's like getting sick and not wanting to go to the doctor. It's like the doctor is there when you're sick when we need God we need to press into God but we pull back whenever we sin and it's because our perspective is is messed up and we think that God's going to you know, roast us and be angry with us and he hasn't got any more time for us. That's not true at all. But it also affects our perspective of others because you would know this. Um, as I know this, when I've sinned before, I immediately want to pull out a community, my Christian community, because I'm carrying this guilt and this shame and I'm like, no, nah, I've got to pull out. And again, it's like not going to the doctor when you're sick. And then we, we can pull out of church. It's, it's, it's sin corrupting our perspective of all things that are good. Yeah. And when we sin, when we, when we don't live righteously and we just engage with our, with our fleshly desires and our, and our carnal desires, we, we carry the burden of, of guilt and shame and worry and stress comes with it as well because many sins not all of them but many of them come with a huge degree of cover-up job which is that I'm engaging in this practice or in this action or this thing that I'm doing and now I'm exerting time and energy to try and cover it up so no one finds out. So then what we're experiencing is we're experiencing the physical and temporal impacts of sin at the same time as the eternal and the spiritual impacts of sin. And what is that? That is my connection to God and my soul and how it's eroding on um, who I am. And then the physical one is I'm now stressed and worried and covering up stuff and having to tell lies to cover up stuff. And it grows and grows and grows. And very quickly, our perspective on everything is corrupted by sin. So living righteously is the remedy. And we need, to, we need to engage in 2024 with getting help in whatever area it is that we need help as it pertains to sin. Because it can be things like a substance addiction. It can be anger. It can be unforgiveness. It can be an addiction to pornography or lust of any kind. It could be stealing. Uh, it could be a number of things that you are navigating and it's, and it's present enough that you need to go to war with it in 2024. 2024. Just some practical tips: get an accountability accountability partner or a friend, and meet with them monthly. Meet with your Connect leader termly, and meet with a pastor yearly. I think that's a really good start to start tackling some things like this in your life. So, get an accountability partner or a friend. Chat with them monthly. Touch base on how that's going. Be open about it. The next ones: meet with your Connect leader termly, so four times a year. Be in a Connect group. Chat with your leader. Just let them love on you, let them encourage you, share from your heart, get some prayer, and then meet with a pastor yearly. If you can do more than that, go for it. But I think start with that and it will help you a lot. i just invite the, the team to come out and I'll just close with point number four, which is posture. So aiding in correcting our perspective, serving, rest, righteousness, and posture. Obviously, we have a physical posture. Um, who's working on their posture currently, their physical posture? <laughs> Amen. Me too. But this is about a posture within you. This is about the posture of your heart and your character. And it really speaks to humility. Not being puffed up. Having a right view of self. It's uh, having a healthy awareness of your own brokenness and your own need. And out of that, having a great awareness of your dependence on God. When we talk about posture, it's this posture of, I desperately need God. I depend on God for all that I am. All, all that I, that I do, yes. I'm depending on Him. And, and out of that, we, we turn to devotion to God when we've got right posture. But the, the opposite is when our posture is too puffed up. And we've got an inflated view of ourselves, perhaps a deflated view of God, a deflated view of others. And we're a legend in our own lunchbox and all of our ideas are good and all of our perspectives are right and all of our opinions matter and all that kind of stuff. And it's puffed up. I think it's very hard to hang on to that when you spend time alone with God and genuine time alone with God where you sit down with your Bible and you just want to seek Him, you want to read, you want to understand. It's hard to stay genuinely prideful when you do that because the act in itself is an act of, of, I think, desperation. God, I'm doing this because I need you. We won't do that when we don't think we need it. I think some of the lack of meeting with God is because we think we're sufficient on our own. And so the act of spending time alone with God will help that posture come down to what it should be. And and again, like there was a great message from Pastor Jordan on pride and humility. I thought it was fantastic. Um, How's the irony of that, shouting out my own message on pride and humility? But check that out if that's an area that, that affects you. But spend time alone with God and get your posture corrected. Psalm 16 verse 8 to 11 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices my body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life and you fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Just on the subject of posture, I'll just close very quickly, just touching on the character of King Nebuchadnezzar in uh, the book of Daniel. Great name as well. Anyone having a baby boy, Nebuchadnezzar could be great. (laughs) Great. But it's such an interesting story, the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. I I overlooked it until like this year, just how interesting it is. But he is a king and he gets warned by God in a dream that everything is going to be taken away from him until he acknowledges that God is the one who is most high. And what's so interesting is Nebuchadnezzar gets this warning. Hey, if you carry on in your pride, everything will be stripped from you. Listen to this. This is the verse after the warning. Twelve months later, this Daniel 4 29 teams got 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what was decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. I'll just pause there. How interesting, he gets warned about his pride and he gets warned that everything's going to be taken away from him and then he says literally 12 months later, he's up on the roof. Is this not all by my mighty power and by the majesty of my hand? If if you were there at the time, you'd be like, oh man. Dude, you got warned about this. But is that not us? Have we not been warned about our pride? Have we not been warned? But what I love about this story is at the end, what happens is, is, in verse 34, if we've got that, of Daniel 4, it says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I Nebuchadnezzar He's got to be careful there eh? Not to gloat too much It's going to happen again He said Now I Nebuchadnezzar Praise and exalt And glorify the King of Heaven Because everything he does is right And all his ways are just And those who walk in pride He is able to humble Somebody say sugar But But what I love about this passage Is that he's filled with pride Gets a warning Doesn't listen Gloats again Everything's stripped from him And the, the events go like this As he looks to Heaven His sanity's restored and then what comes out of his mouth is praise to God. And, and really for you and I, our sanity will come back when we are viewed right, when we're looking at heaven. And I think you'll get right view of everything else when you're, you're focused on God. You're focused on heaven. You're looking up to Him, not in to self or not down on others, but up to God. And it's in that place where we get that true revelation of who God is and then everything else starts to make sense. And we're not even in 2024 yet, but some of us already stressed about it, confused about it, irritated by it, I would just say if you get right perspective of God, everything else will fall into place. You'll you'll get great sanity by living life looking up towards God. Right perspective comes from in humility looking to God, looking to everything in life in light of God. Our perspective's off until there's revelation from Him, devotion to Him and dependence on Him. And for some of you here today, 2023 has been a really tough year. And you might be living life through a perspective that is tired. And I wanna say that being tired is not a sin. Having circumstances that have drained you, it's not something you've necessarily even done wrong. Things can happen to you. But I wanna encourage you, don't stay in that place. Don't stay tired. If you're tired and weary, ask God to show you how to get out of that season. But it starts with acknowledging that you're in that season and acknowledging, hey, my perspective is off. Maybe something in 2023 happened that deeply offended you or deeply hurt you. Again, it's not a sin to be offended. The Bible tells us it's going to happen to us, but it can become sin when we don't do anything about it, when we hang on to it. And I want you to be able to acknowledge, hey, I'm living right now through an offended perspective. And the reason it's important that you know that and do something about it is that if you don't do that and you hang on to it, you believe your perspective's right and everyone else's is wrong. And we start to recruit people to our team. And that's when you start to see pockets of people pop up that have one thing in common and it's they all have the same perspective and it's hurt and it's tired or it's exhausted or it's bitter. Don't recruit people to your team. You've got to be able to say, hey, I'm tired right now. I'm hurt right now. I'm, f- I'm angry right now. Don't come to me. <laughs> don't join my team because otherwise you, see, you get a starting five fill out the bench and then you just, you're surrounded by people that are navigating the same thing as you it's the light blind lead the blind it gets messy so if you're heading into 2024 and you know your perspective's not right acknowledge that to God and ask Him to help you work on those four things allow God to do a transformative work in you was it wrong for Elijah to be tired and exhausted no he'd been going pretty hard was it wrong for him to be intimidated no That stuff happens. It's just what happens next. What do you do next? And God has an incredible year ahead for you. It's full of potential, possibilities, things for you to do, things for you to enjoy, a God to serve, a God to glorify. May it be a year where you step further into the plan He has for you, step closer towards Him, but it won't happen if you don't have the right perspective. And so some of us this morning need that refreshing, like that going under the ocean, coming up moment of just, okay. The scales need to come off. The weight needs to come off. I want to see God right. I want to see life right. And so I want to believe that for you today, that you could head into the new year with a great, refreshed, renewed, faith-filled, correct perspective.
0: Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world.